I'm here with Frida Polly, who is CEO and founder of Pymetrics, which is a, an AI and neuroscience startup out of an MIT. Uh, Frida, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Martin. So we're at WEF in Davos, and um, one of the themes is globalization 4.0 and uh, inclusiveness, the idea that we, we don't get the growth potential of the economy unless we, uh, we solve for diversity and inclusiveness. And um, I think that's, that's somehow connected with your offering. Can you tell us a little bit about the Pymetrics offering? Yeah, sure. Um, and actually, that's part of why we're here at uh, WEF. So Pymetrics is a uh, WEF technology pioneer. And I think that part of the reason that they were interested in what we're doing is because we solve a fundamental problem, which is how do you find, how do companies find the right workforce? And historically, we've relied on, you know, talent signals that are, you know, in our mind, fairly archaic, such as resumes and things of that nature. So what Pymetrics does is it leverages behavioral neuroscience, um, looking at people's fundamental cognitive, emotional, and social attributes, and uses those as talent signals to understand somebody's potential fit for a role. So that's how we do the person-to-role matching. And I think part of the reason that the WEF and others are interested in our offering is because um, not only does it make the matching process far more accurate in terms of people um, are, you know, performing better, staying longer in roles, and so on, it also makes the workforce chosen much more diverse. Um, we often see increases in gender, ethnic, and socioeconomic diversity, all three really important aspects of diversity. And I think what's really fundamental to note about that is that, you know, for the last couple of decades, we've always seen the best person and the more diverse person as being in opposition. There's this very sort of strongly held belief that if you're talking about diversity, somehow you're lowering the bar, you're, you know, letting people in that shouldn't be. But actually what our products and our research shows is that it's quite the opposite, that those two things go hand in hand. So essentially you're using neuroscience games and AI to match people's behavior rather mm -hmm. than our judgments about their behavior yeah. with potential job opportunities. That's and you're right. saying that this uh, results in a lowering of bias? It results in a workforce that is far more likely to perform better and stay longer and also reduces bias. Those two things, again, I want to just emphasize the fact that those two things go together. So we see huge ROI for companies that we work with, um, as well as benefit to applicants because they're more likely to stay longer and be happier in their jobs. But as an additional sort of benefit, side benefit, or in our mind, very core benefit, there's a very significant increase in diversity. And again, I would say that it's not just gender and ethnic diversity, socioeconomic diversity is something we don't often think about when we talk about diversity. But if you're thinking about inclusion, I mean, it has to be part of the conversation. Do you think about um, diversity as uh, primarily an, an ethical issue? Or do you, do you also think about it as a performance issue? I think it's both. I think it's a business. Honestly, I think of it more as a business issue, because I think that um, all of the studies have shown that a more diverse workplace is performs better, right? I mean, there's just been tons of research that's been done um, on that subject. And the question is more, how do we get people sort of to cross that hurdle, right? So we were, we were talking about this yesterday. So unfortunately, humans are, our brains are created to be biased, right? Because what we're constantly doing is taking in small pieces of information and assimilating that new piece into an existing corpus of information, right? Well, some people would say that that's what AI does. It takes past data and essentially uh, is very good at pattern recognition in relation to past data that may actually reflect human biases. Yes. For example, if all uh, engineers in a certain category 
happen historically to have been male, sure. our data will show that, right. that correlation. So how, how does your technology in simple terms remove that bias? Yeah, so what we do essentially is we audit all of the algorithms that we create for bias. And we've open sourced it on GitHub. You can go download it if you want to geek out on it. It's called Audit AI. And essentially all it does is audit every algorithm that we have built. It's basically a tree search for the least biased alternative. So what that means is any algorithm we build for a company, we say, okay, is it producing equal outcomes for men and women and for people of different ethnic backgrounds? And if the answer is no, we go back and we say, okay, what's the next least biased alternative? And that's essentially how we arrive at what we call an unbiased mm. algorithmic solution. But is the is the uh, bias, just to get technical, is the sure. bias in the algorithm or is it in the, the training data set? It's in the training data set. I mean, that's the thing that I always find so amusing when people are, you know, kind of, you know, lambasting mm. AI. They're like, AI is horrible. And I'm like, AI, the definition is a computer that basically is mimicking human behavior and intelligence. So if you don't like what the computer is spitting out, you really should be more concerned about the fundamental underlying human behavior that it's that it's mimicking. So, I mean, But your experience is that um, even given, you know, dirty and perfect real world data, uh, using your approach, we can get a better yeah, approach absolutely. than using the traditional uh, interviewing and CV based Absolutely, approach. because again, and back to the point of the human brain was created to be biased, right? I mean, because you're always taking in little bits of information and you're assimilating it to existing information. So there is no way that I can remove bias from Martin Reeves or Frida Pauli. That's just a, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, Don Quixote task. Um, however, you can actually test an algorithm for bias and remove it. Mm -hmm. which is what's so amazing about the whole idea of incorporating this technology in hiring. Do you, do you think that... Um, Not to uh, mention that it's more predictive. Right. Do you, do you, predictive of performance, performance in a particular job and category. So on. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, and you've now accumulated the data to, to prove that. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've worked now with over 80 companies um, and, you know, the data just is very consistent in that mm -hmm. fact. Do you think that you're working on the bottleneck? Because obviously... Um, let's assume that everything you said is perfectly right. You're, you, you, know, you're, you get a less biased result and a more accurate result and a more predictive result with your technology. It could be that something else is the bottleneck. And I say this because in the WEF kickoff press conference, there was a very uh, interesting fact that cropped up for me, which is WEF, a very earnest and intelligent organization that uh, prizes diversity, mm -hmm. has increased its female participation from 21% last year mm -hmm to a forecast 22% this year. Right, so, right. you know, it can't be that easy. Right. So do you, you know, <laughs> number one, do you think you're, you're working on the bottleneck or one of the key bottlenecks? And number two, uh, why is it so hard to execute such a simple agenda? Of removing bias. Of, well, of, 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 of in this particular case, equalizing gender ratios. So removing that particular yeah, removing bias. bias. I mean, well, let me answer that question mm. first, right? Again, it's back to the idea that, you know, bias took you know, decades in each one of us to be created, right? Um, therefore, it's just like what we were talking about, un unconscious bias training. Unfortunately, it's, you know, a four-hour seminar. It's not going to remove bias from a person in four hours that took four decades to create, right? So it's, it's just about, it's like anything else that's, in, you know, learned over a long period of time. It's very hard to remove. And therefore, you really need to institute, in my opinion, something that's much more systematic in order to, to really get at that. So I think it's just fundamentally changing human behavior is very difficult. However, as we know with orchestras, for example, when they instituted the, you know, the blind audition with the curtain that came down, they were, you know, in much more swift manner able to go from 5% participation to 35% participation. So, so I do think it is working on the bottleneck, to your point. So, so supposing a company adopts a, a technology like yours, yep. and uh, so at least um, the selection or the matching part of the, uh, the HR process mm -hmm. becomes less biased. Yep. Uh, what else do they need to solve for to get a final result, to get, say, 
you know, gender equalization? What, what are some of the yeah, other Yeah, you mean across, you know, and up into senior management up into role? Senior management, or, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think then you have to really, you know, use the similar type processes and or technologies all the way up, right? Even including in your promotion strategies, your lateral mm. mobility strategies, all, all the way up. I mean, I think that's, that's a piece of it, right? I think then, obviously, there are policies that companies are putting into place to make the workforce more um, flexible for whether it's, you know, mothers that need time, you know, whatever, whatever flexibility people might need that's different from um, the traditional, you know, person that they would employ. So I think it's a question of technologies and processes that need to be put in place. I guess another thing that needs to happen is um, behavior change. In other words, um, the the processes of companies uh, are sort of like habits. They they have a they have a certain inertia. If the HR department has been doing things a certain way for years and managers have been doing a certain way for years, technically you may have a solution, but you've got to change behaviors. Do you sure. find that uh, the science, the data alone, is is sufficient to shift those habits, I, I, or does I think it require it's a combination. change management? It's, it, it's a combination of things. I think the data can be very compelling, but I think that again, people are stubborn. We all, we're all stubborn, um, and people don't like change, and we all don't like change. Um, and so, therefore, it is a question of implementing change management. And you know, again, it's back to the idea that technology in the way that the WEF envisions it, and I think that I envision it, probably you as well, is not here to replace humans. It is to elevate the status of the activities that we do. And again, I always like to say, why Why would a recruiter want to hold on to the glorified status of a resume reader? I mean, how is that even remotely exciting as a profession, well, right? It's it may not. Be, it may be a comforting <laughs> historical habit. It may well, be reassuring. Sure, um, but what we see, for example, right, when we are able to, you know, um, have that be... Uh, a pymetrics thing and then the recruiter does something more elevated is that really they go on to have much more strategic roles within the company rather than simply you know reading resumes so it is really about explaining and um and convincing people through showing them you know past examples of companies we work for that it's not about removing humans it's about elevating a human to do a much so more about interesting elevate, task. elevating the uh, the cognitive surplus the, yeah. the cognitive, cognitive higher levels Creativity, empathy, and all of those things, right? I mean, if, if you can put, in this case, a recruiter in front of um, applicants to speak to them about the roles, to um, you know engage with them on a much more human-to-human level, that's a far better use so of their is, time than sitting at a this desk. This is very interesting. Resume. Essentially, you have an example, which is the opposite of the popular meme. The popular meme is that AI is going to replace us all yeah. in, in, in all tasks, yeah. whereas here you have a task but, where... You know, actually, um, that's not what we see. It's complementing human we see. beings, absolutely. And I mean, that's what came out of the WEF research that was done last year or this year, last year. Um, you know, where they basically showed that net net job, and actually, it was research that was done with WEF and BCG. Net net, there were going to be job gains as a result of you know automation and AI. But you know, I think it was like eighty percent of jobs were going to be changed or transformed. You know, so it's not that there's going to be this massive loss of jobs. It's that some jobs will be lost. The vast majority will be changed, but in the outcome, there will be more jobs. They will just be quite different. And I think that's what people are afraid of because they don't see the future, right? It's very hard for us to perceive a future that we don't know what it's going to look like. So if we broaden the question out, given your unique vantage point, given that you're in the uh, the business of this uh, intersection of AI and, and, and uh, organizational routines, um, do you have a vision of the future of work? You know, when, when all of the short-term factors have played out and we're 
in some end state where AI yeah. is playing a, I mean, a, a more dominant role. What, yeah, what, what, absolutely. What is, well, it may, I mean, I always say that if everyone used a technology like Pymetrics, the workforce would be much better functioning and much more diverse. And, and that's really the vision that we imagine, right? Where people's capacities are utilized to their full potential because you're in a role that you're well suited for, um, where everyone is is included in the economy, not just you know sort of the the selected few that historically have had access to those opportunities. Um, and again, I think that it works better for everyone. I mean, I think that I'm a huge believer in the fact that a lot of the problems that we see, a lot of the challenges that we have today are because there has been unequal access to opportunity historically. And that's changing over time slowly. And I think things are improving. Um, but I think that, that the future of work, a vision where everyone is best suited for the roles that they're in and you look around and it's a much more diverse place in terms of gender, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status is, in my opinion, a much, much better vision of, 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 the, of the world of work than you know, where we are today. Um, Christine Lagarde, uh, yesterday in the IMF um, press conference, she said that um, there were three priorities to deal with the current economic mm-hmm. situation. We were seeing depressed growth, but... Uh, vastly increased risk. Mm-hmm. Um, she said one of them was um, was resilience to the mm-hmm. unknown. Um, this was basically advice to policymakers. Yeah. The other one was collaboration, international collaboration, so that we uh, we don't end up with some sort of stalemate um, or lose-lose with respect mm-hmm. to trade. But interestingly, the third one was inclusiveness, yep. which she, she said was necessary to unlock the full dividend of the digital revolution. Yeah. So it sounds like you agree with that I proposition. I completely agree. Completely. Yeah. And I think the more we exclude people or leave people out, whoever that group is, I'm not thinking of a particular group, um, the more we really limit the growth of the economy. I mean, in my opinion, it's sort of pushing out the plane as, as, as much as we can include people. It's, it's not, it's not a, we've always thought about it as a zero sum game. And I just don't believe that that's true. I mean, I think that what we would see, right, if we were a more inclusive society, <clears throat> is that, you know, people that had sort of the you know, most access to opportunity would then go on to be entrepreneurs and build new companies, right, because they would have the most access to capital and, you know, social capital and all the rest of it. And then, you know, we would just expand the economic pie for everyone rather than thinking about it as like, oh, I've got to fight over this, you know, one job because there's this, it, this is finite number of jobs that we'll, we'll only ever have. I just think that's a very antiquated notion. Finally, I wonder whether you could um, share any thoughts about the uh, joint research that we've recently undertaken where we looked at <clears throat> using the Pymetrics neuroscience yeah. games and a BCG strategy games to look at the the neuroscience capabilities underpinning strategic skills. Sure. Um, what were your reflections on that research project? Yeah, well, I thought it was super interesting because I think that, you know, your way of looking at different types of strategies that, um, you know, are, are successful for different types of environments is actually unique, right? Because you go to business school, you know, I went to HBS, they teach you that, you know, there's Porter's five forces and, you know, that's how you <laughs> create a strategy. So I thought it was very interesting to think about it that different environments require different strategies. And then to go back and think, okay, what are sort of the cognitive, emotional, and social aptitudes that map to those, I think was fascinating to find different profiles. It kind of made sense that those would be the profiles that would be needed. So it I was a very complimentary um, tools that put together, you know, created an outcome that made a lot of sense. For me, it brought uh, cognitive diversity alive in the sense that yeah. I'd, I was obviously sure. familiar with the concept, but, um, you know, interestingly, when we search for the skills underpinning strategic capability, we actually found that there was no such thing as a universal strategy. It's right. just 2%, yep. I think, of the sample were yep. uh, facile and had all of the skills necessary exactly. for all of the environments. Yep. 
So actually, it made the conversation much more specific. Sure. What sort of person do we need for this specific problem? That's right. That's right. Uh, which naturally gives you a very performance-based rationale for actually yeah. embracing a diversity of uh, cognition. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that I'm a pretty good entrepreneur. I think I'd be a pretty horrible lots of other things. And mm. I mean, that's the whole idea behind Pymetrics, right, is that it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's really about, you know, helping people understand where their highest probability of success is. And I think if we start thinking about work in that way, rather than thinking there's a good employee out there and a not-so-good one, I think we're just opening up a lot more opportunity for everyone. Well, thanks very much, uh, Frida, for sharing your interesting perspectives yeah. with us today. Thanks for having me, Martin.